Hi, I'm Gar Sanders. I'm Jamie Wincup. I'm James Courtney. Tony Delberto. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. Hi, I'm Todd Kelly. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth. You're listening to V8 Insiders. It's your weekly dose of V8 news on the V8 Insiders. Now, here's your host, Craig Revell. Lee wins for Erebus. How bloody awesome is that? <laughs> Were you watching? <laughs> did, did you record it? <laughs> Frosty wins for Ford. Good starts, good tyre life and a good car and you know, smart pit stops for my guys as well. And Fabian wins for Holden. You know, the car's a dream to drive. While Russell sheds 15000 It's alright for these peanuts to sit up in that ivory tower of theirs and just hand out punishments like that. I'd like to drag those guys down, take them out over all those spectators over there and see what they'll kick the That's all coming up today as the red lights go out on another edition of the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Here's the news brought to you by Nobrack Carbon Fibre Products. Fabian Coulthard won a helter-skelter race seven of the championship in Winton on Saturday. You know, the car's a dream to drive. Uh, you know, we had the speed at the end there, you know, even after having to do three re- restart safety car restarts, you know, they tried their hardest to take that away from me, but look, uh, look, awesome, you know, good for the boys. Uh, so far, two poles, a race win, it's been uh, a pretty dream weekend, really. Fabian spoke about the result for Brad Jones Racing with three cars in the top four positions. You know, credit to all the boys, you know, they've all put in countless hours, you know, fixing cars, but obviously they're pretty quick here this weekend and to have three cars in the top four. Dale on the podium, it's been a pretty good day. Shane Van Gisbergen's second place split the three BJR cars. He said that the racetrack was as hard as any of the other competitors. Uh, it's just weird, the track, the rubber, everyone has been talking about is disappearing, so... There's grip, there's not grip, so it's it's all about reading the track at the moment and the next race, obviously, it's going to keep wearing off, so you just have to keep up with it, but um, very weird. Dale Wood took out his first podium in the main game with a third. It was nuts out there. Yeah, a bit of a tangle with my teammates, so be interesting truck debrief tonight, but that's awesome. I'm so pumped. Russell Ingalls' outburst at the decision to give him a drive-through penalty did not go unpunished. Even with his apology at the start of Sunday's television coverage, he has been hit with a $15,000 fine, 10000 of which is suspended for 12 months. Lee Holsworth brought home Erebus's first V8 supercar race win in race eight of the championship at Winton. He said he cannot believe the turnaround for the team. Yeah, it's um, a bit of a difference from where we were here last year. I think we were running the bottom three cars in the field, so... Um, to come out and win it 12 months later is a pretty big step forward. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we, we knew that our car was pretty good at Tassie, but we, we lacked a little bit um, up top uh, in the straight line handling department. But, um, yeah, I, you know, this, this track, our engines have got pretty good torque, so, um, and uh, the straights aren't very long, so we just knew that we had to get the car right 
and we'd be okay here. Um, and obviously, you know, my, my engineer Brad has done a fantastic job, and um, you know we've done a, a good job together in chasing the track conditions. Um, we definitely had better tyre life than most of the guys out there then and in the first race, so um, that's fantastic. Lee spoke about the difference between his first win at Oran Park and his win at Winton on the weekend. Being my first race win and only my second year in V8 Supercars, um, a lot of people put it down to our strategy. Um, I didn't, but uh, I don't think anyone can doubt this one, that we had the genuine speed to win the race. Um, you know, we did the job and we uh, we got there, um, yeah, on genuine speed. So I think that's probably the, the difference. There's no doubt about this one that we uh, we won this race fair and square. You can hear more about Erebus's race win from many different aspects of the team on this week's White Flag Lab. Frosty Witterbottom turned around a poor qualifying, passing 16 cars over the course of the run. Yeah, the idea is not to qualify 23rd. You don't have that stat, but... Um... Uh, yeah, it was a good good day. The um, you know the the car was actually pretty good, and but the the main strength that held onto its tyres really well. And um, it's very hard to pass until people have degradation, and once they have degradation, you can charge on through. Fabian Coulthard's second trophy of the weekend had him second in the championship going into Saturday evening. You know, obviously it's good on paper, but you know it's such a long year. Um, you know, you're guaranteed to have a bad result somewhere along the way, so. Look, I've always said from day one, I'm not looking at the championship. Obviously, once it gets close to the time, and you know that's when it starts to matter. On Sunday, Scott McLaughlin took out his first pole position of his career, becoming the youngest ever in V8 supercar history. He turned around the disappointment of Saturday to knuckle down and grab the pole. Um, it's it's different, but at the end of the day, a new day, and that's what's so good about V8 supercar racing. We've got two races, three races on a weekend, so you can come back Sunday and have another crack. But it was Frosty Winterbottom who took out the victory. His first for the season. It's definitely pretty tough conditions out there, but um, purely because of how high the tyre degradation is and when the car's moving around and stuff. So, but the, the the best part was the gap at the end. You know, eight point something seconds, and all I could do was just cruise around then and try and save the tyres for the burnout at the end. So, um, it's nice when you got that gap. But there's points in the race where one guy was pushing, one was conserving, and. Um, I thought it was a pretty interesting race the way it all sort of panned out but once the guys got the drive-throughs it definitely gave you a lot of breathing space James Courtney continued to show great speed with a fourth podium of the year We're managing to get 100% out of our car We're, uh, you know, the boys are doing a great job in the pits um, you know, the Robbie and Al are doing a great job with the strategy and skin and Pete just putting the car together and, and uh, you know, we're maximising the potential we have uh, at the moment we still don't have the the tool that the other guys have, uh, but we're just being consistent, getting as much out of it as we can, and you know we're still having the odd bogey race. You know, on the we've had a couple of shockers at Tassie on the Saturday, Coastal on the Saturday yesterday. Um, but yeah, we've still got work to do. But uh, but no, it's good to have the points that we've got. And, and, uh, you know, this early in the season and with what we've got coming, it's uh, pretty exciting. And teammate Tim Slade found a strategy that brought him out in the mix, taking third, his first podium since 2012. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a really awesome feeling, especially after, you know, the year I had last year. Um, it was, you know, in saying that, it was also really awesome to see, uh, to see Lee get the win yesterday because, you know, he and I... And, and the whole team, you know, at, at Erebus went, went through the same thing last year. And it was, it was tough and, uh, and frustrating. So it was, it was good that we both 
Uh, both got a little bit of reward this weekend. Pit lane speeding penalties affected many of the front runners. Fabian Coulthard talked about following Frosty into the pits when he was penalised. I don't know what's up. You know, it's pretty rare that you have six or seven drive-through penalties. I know in my instance, I was right behind Frosty and I made absolutely no ground on him. I lost ground, if anything. Um, but yeah, what's done's done. What do you do? Grant McPherson, Mark Winterbottom's engineer, spoke about what he said to his driver to ensure they didn't suffer the same fate. Uh, it was difficult to assess exactly where the infringement was taking place, so we, we, were just, we were just cautious. So Frosty was worded up, entry and exit, uh, just make sure, no mistakes. And you know, we had enough of a buffer that you could go into pit lane a little bit more careful and, and it was going to be okay. Entry pit lane with Fabian just behind us, but we had five seconds of fuel in hand, so that wasn't really a stress. Whilst for Red Bull Racing, it was a disappointing weekend, Jamie Winkup could not explain why the weekend was probably his toughest in more than five years. Yeah, yeah, not the, not the best weekend. We, um, we, we failed to, to show good pace all weekend, so uh, we'll work on that for, for uh, New Zealand. But, um, yeah, no, no dampener to the spirit. We'll, um, we'll work hard, learning experience, and move on. In the Dublop series, Ash Walsh turned around a tough clipsal to win at Winton. It was the first win for a Queensland team at the Victorian track. Yeah, who would have thought coming into Winton that uh, that would get up on top of uh, of Cam and PD? Uh, yeah, so, I mean, it's just a testament uh, to the hard work that's gone on at MSR over the last year. Uh, we've really turned it around, and I think, um, you know, given... Given the, uh, the turnaround in speed here, I think you know, hopefully at all the other rounds we can do it as well. I have confidence in the guys and I'm um, just going to try and chip away at those points. The drivers were certainly preferring the longer races, but still did not approve of the reverse grid in the race number two. Yeah, I agree with going to the two longer races, but um, I don't really agree with having a reverse grid top ten uh, for a second race, uh, particularly if it's full points. I think it promotes carnage. Um, I didn't really see what happened during the race, but um, maybe we lucky got away with it this time. But I, I really like the format of Adelaide, where we do two long races. It brings us closer to the main series, and ultimately uh, that's the goal of the guys in the Dunlop series. Dean Fiore looks set to join Nissan Motorsport for the Enduros. This would mean that the only steat not yet to be announced is at Brad Jones Racing with Dale Wood. But it is believed that Daniel Gaunt will be taking that spot. Bathurst entries could be bolstered by a plan to allow Dunlop Series to run in the 1,000km Classic if it's able to be approved and enough Dunlop Series entrants want to try and make it and bring back class racing to the 1,000 program. And that's the news on the V8 Insiders brought to you by Nobrac Carbon Fibre Products. That's www.nobrac.com.au. Check out their entire range today. Roundtable is up next after the break with Richard Kral and Lachlan Mansell. I hope you'll stay with us. News on the V8 Insiders is brought to you by the official V8X Magazine Facebook page. Sign up and keep in touch with V8 Supercars. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now, read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now.
The views expressed on V8 Insiders, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect those of the network, Thunder Media, sportradio.com.au or V8X Magazine. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Joining us this week, uh, the voice of Wakefield Park. It's, uh, and of course, Winton Motor Raceway. Lachlan Mansell. Good evening, Lockie. Good day, Craig. How's it going? I'm going very well, and uh, we're also joined by the two-time commentator of the year from the V8 Media Association, also the voice of SBS Speed Week and a whole host of other programs, including, of course, the uh, Shannon's National Series. It's Richard Crowell. Good evening, Crowley. G'day, Craig. G'day, Lockie. How are you all going? Well... I'm going very well, as indeed are a number of teams this weekend, because, Lachlan, we've had three different teams take out and three different drivers take out race wins this weekend. And for two of them, they, well, one has taken out their first win in Erebus. And, well, if you believed what the Ford teams were saying, their car should never have won again until it was rebuilt and re-homologated. Yeah, I think uh, a couple of points to take away from the Winton 400 on the weekend. First of all, it was the second year in a row that we'd had three different manufacturers win three different races on the V8 Supercar Weekend at Winton Motor Raceway, which is a great thing for the sport. And secondly, it was the second year in a row that history had been made in the V8 at Winton because, of course, Nissan scored their first race victory since 1992 at Winton last year albeit in maybe slightly controversial circumstances with the X70 fuel that they were using. But now, of course, this year, Erebus and um, Mercedes taking their first ever win in the Australian Touring Car Championship with a great drive from Lee Holdsworth. And it wasn't a special moment on Saturday afternoon, Richard and Craig, when Lee celebrated. He was joined by one of the most passionate, if not the most passionate, team owner in the sport, in Benny Clemenko. It was a, a very emotional moment for both of them, especially given the tough circumstances for Lee earlier on in the week with his home being invaded. Yes, and it was it was fascinating to see how everyone reacted to that first Erebus win because, Richard, everyone was just so genuinely happy for Lee Holsworth to be able to get that monkey off his back knowing that he'd, he'd made a move to a team which then got sold out from under him and uh, he was having a nervous 2013, to say the least. Yeah, he was. And, and, you know, there were a couple of comments thrown around on the Saturday night about perhaps some of the drivers that had left uh, Erebus at the end of last season and, and the sponsors as well. Uh, the, the sponsorship plight of Erebus has been well documented. Uh, so there were some snide remarks, I think, uh, about some of those people that left and then uh, all of a sudden the team has turned into a, a winning proposition. But we all knew, I think, deep down that, that it was going to happen sooner rather than later. But remember, this is Stone Brothers Racing. Uh, it's got new management, it's got some new people, but... The bottom line is is that the resources and a lot of the brains behind it are still the, the multiple championship winning outfit that we know as SBR. So they were always going to get it together. And they made very positive moves to bring the engine program back to Australia and to advance that cause to tailor it to the local V8 supercar conditions. And that's obviously made some major improvements. Um, and, you know, with the, the progress that they made in the, the opening of the season, I think we all thought they'd be somewhere near the podium this year. But as we said in V8 this year, one of the remarkable things we're witnessing is that you can qualify 15th one day and be half a second off the pace, and the next day find yourself P1. So 
it, it's so open and variable at the moment um, that these, these are the kind of results that I think we're going to see for a few more rounds to come yet. Mm. And, of course, Lockie, uh, Volvo, very unlucky that they didn't have a, a red-hot crack at uh, getting a race win at Winton as well. And I know that uh, you there at Wyndham would love to be able to say that every new manufacturer into the series got their first win at Winton. That would be a nice little thing to to hang your hat on. But, uh, of course, we saw mechanical problems on Saturday plaguing the team. And then on Sunday, one of the strangest races I think we've seen in years where we saw at least six, I lost count after six, different cars and, and drivers copying pit lane speed penalties, and I believe it was mostly on a timing loop on entry. Yeah, um, so, yeah, I mean, Scott McLaughlin was desperately unlucky to miss out on a length to podium finish, having qualified on the front row in two out of the three races. Not quite sure that he would have had the speed or the ultimate tyre conservation to challenge Mark Wisbottom in the Sunday race, but that was one of the themes to come out of the weekend was the ever-evolving track conditions and the fact that all of the different teams and the engineering groups inside each of those teams really had to think on their feet to adapt their car setup to a track that was changing from session to session, but... Yeah, a bit of controversy in the Sunday race with, I think it ended up being five different drivers being penalised for pit lane speeding. Rick Kelly got a penalty, so did Russell Ingle, Fabian Coulthard and both of the Polestar racing entries. And when we saw those drivers getting penalised was, yes, as you say, they've put a timing loop, or in fact two timing loops in at the pit entry, and that's to stop what used to happen in the past, where if one driver followed another driver into the pits, the driver behind could actually get away with making a faster pit entry because they would hide in the shadow of the preceding car and wouldn't be detected by the radar gun. Now they use two timing loops and they can measure the time it takes for a car to get from one to the other and ping drivers for speeding that way. I mean, it was controversial. Rick Kelly in particular came out and said that Kelly Racing's data proved otherwise, that they weren't speeding. But in the end, yes, five drivers got penalised. 20 drivers didn't get penalised. So I think in the end, the responsibility lies with the teams to make sure that uh, they don't enter pit lane too quickly. I can tell you what, Richard, there weren't going to be too many drivers saying it too loud what they thought of... uh, the decisions on Sunday after what we heard was going on on Saturday. And, of course, Monday we hear that uh, Russell Ingalls, $15,000 lighter, although it's only 5000 this year, and 10000 just sitting there like a sword of Damocles waiting for him to make a mistake in the next 12 months. Yeah, and, and fair enough. On that. I'll come back to that in a minute. I think one of the problems that we've got is that there's a lack of transparency from the organisers about about exactly what the penalties are and, and the actual margins involved. And, and an interesting point about that was made up when Steve O'Donnell, who's the vice president of NASCAR, tweeted a picture of the monitor that they run in NASCAR race control, which showed each of the NASCAR teams that were pinged for speeding in pit lane during the race in Texas yesterday and were at exactly where they were pinged, what part of pit lane and what speed they were doing. But we don't get any sort of release like that from be it, be it Supercar or Cams or whoever it is that manages these things. So I think to alleviate some of the doubt and some of the questioning and and there's no doubt, I'm sure that Rick Keller's data probably said that he was doing no more than 40 k an hour at any point. What we need is the 
organisation to go, no, well, this is why we pinned you. I think they need to be more open and, and release more information for people like us and the listeners and, and people involved, and especially the competitors, to perhaps be a little bit more open about exactly what they're penalising for because I think that's, that's part of the problem. That's why so many people arc up because it all seems a little bit vague. Oh, you're done for speeding, you're not. And there's not much more variance about that. Um, I also found it funny that seven network coverage pack that there was a shot of one of the cars doing its drive-through for speeding in pit lane and the radar gun ticked over the 41, 42 k's an hour and it went back to 39. Um, and that car in particular wasn't served the penalty again. So you've got to wonder how accurate some of the technology we're using is. Um, to your point about Russell Engel, no points about uh, no problems about him being penalised for what he said. It was uh, out of line. I like drivers saying what they think, and if they feel like they've got a bad penalty, then better they say something about it rather than just just move on and not say anything. Because we need these drivers to be personalities. We need them to speak out, but we don't need them to you know really accuse of violence against officials. That was way out of line from Russell. Um, and I think the fine is uh, more than appropriate for that. Say you're angry, say you don't like it, uh, say you think the uh, jurisdiction is bad, but don't uh, threaten to take them over to the uh, fans and uh, get the fans to sick them because I don't think that's uh, very appropriate at all. Mm. There was a lot of people thinking, Lachlan, that if he did take them over to the crowd, the crowd's no fools. They'd look at it and go, yeah, that seems like a fair cop, Russell. <laughs> Actually, from one perspective, I, I agree 100% with what Richard's saying. We do need to encourage drivers to speak their mind a bit more. And from an event perspective, the controversy that it created was was good for our event and for generating some publicity. But I also agree with what Richard said. It has to be made quite clear that um, publicly threatening officials to take them over to the spectators to have the you-know-what kicked out of them is way out of line and is is not on. So, yep, I agree that the fine's appropriate, and I think that maybe along with the fine there should have been some form of community service in maybe sticking Russell at one of the flag points for a development series race, for example, so that he actually appreciates the work that some of the volunteer officials in particular do at these racing events. Oh, lucky that would be uh, that would be one not to miss. Um, particularly if he had uh, someone out there he didn't like, you'd see all these wave blue flags, perhaps going out to people. Uh, we need to take a break here on the Vet Insiders for plenty more when we return. Controversy Corner is next when we return with more on the V8 Insiders. Find out more about your favourite supercar teams and drivers when we go inside further on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Shane Van Gisbergen. You're listening to V8 Insiders. Welcome back to the V8 Insiders. Richard Crowell and Lachlan Mansell joining me, Craig Ravel. And, uh, guys, we've talked about two of the winners in Erebus and... uh, well, we haven't talked about Fabian Coulthard, really. But uh, one winner was Scotty McLaughlin, who set pole position. First pole position for Scotty McLaughlin, Richard, and for Volvo. Yeah, great moment in the sport. And um, 
it's surprising how little people have talked about the fact that he actually won a race at the Grand Prix this year. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, tremendous stuff. Uh, you know, that they just continue to kick goals. And I find it difficult, this parity argument. I, 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 don't, I don't struggle with the fact that the system we're using is pretty antiquated and there are probably more advanced ways of getting these cars exactly even, which is what they want. But when we go to a track like Winton and we've got the entire field separated by seven or eight tenths in qualifying, I don't reckon there's too much about it. And if you get the window you're on, and as I said before, if you don't, your piece of stain in nowhere. So they've clearly got a very, very good car. Whether they've got a horsepower advantage or not, I don't know. But everyone's complaining about the straight line speed at, of the Volvo. Winton's a track where straight line speed is pretty much irrelevant, which is why the Nissans went so well there last year. Uh, so clearly that chassis is excellent and it's a very good handling car. So um, full credit to them, full credit to the um, the Gary Rogers Motorsport team for building an excellent race car and for Volvo's efforts in getting involved. And it's just so good that it's paying dividends early. And look, the more Scott McLaughlin succeeds, and you know, Volvo or not, the sport's going to be better because he is the next superstar of our game. And for a while I think it's been difficult to pick a driver you'd sit there and go, there is a driver who's going to have the kind of mass fan appeal that Craig Lowndes currently enjoys. Well, I think Scott McLaughlin's that driver. He's got the personality, he's got the friendliness, he's got the smile, he's got the wit, and he's an unbelievably talented racing car driver. So at this stage in the game, the more he goes well for our sport, the better. And you only have to see the reaction of him Instagramming uh, him trying to go and bank his pole position check on the Monday afterwards. So... <laughs> The kind of reaction that got it was uh, comedy gold. Uh, Lockie? Yeah, I, I agree with everything Richard says, particularly his comments about the parity, and I think adding weight to Richard's argument is the fact that not only at Winton, but also at Simmons Plains, which is a very, very different sort of racetrack. We've had all five of the manufacturers separated by the tiniest of margins on the timesheet, so... I think the parity is pretty much spot on between all five of the manufacturers. And uh, I, I agree with everything Richard says about Scott McLaughlin being the next superstar of V8 supercars as well. And I think that was reflected in the fact that we renamed turn number six, traditionally known as the flip-flop at Winton Motor Raceway, as Jandle Corner for the weekend just because of the, the fan appeal and the whole stigma now attached to the expression giving it some jandle which Scott made so famous at the Cliff for 500. Mm, yeah, it has been a it has been a great little side dish on this year's season, hasn't it? Look, uh, you were started on parity Ford since Clipsal have been saying our cars are six years old and they're completely wrong and you know we're at such a disadvantage. Of course, that ignores the fact that all these cars were two years old, and if your car had a problem, in my opinion, you should have fixed it at that homologation. Richard? Yeah. Oh, sorry, Lockie, am I being too harsh? Well, no, I don't think you are, because if you remember, when Car of the Future regulations were first implemented, or next-generation car as it's known now at the beginning of last year, the, um, the Holden and Ford existing aero packages were used as the benchmark, so the other cars were, me- were measured against the Holden and the Ford products, and it was up to the other new manufacturers to design their aero package to meet the numbers that were given to them based on what had already been assessed to um, be the aero numbers for the Holden and the Ford V8 supercars. So I don't think there's any uh, disparity there at all, and I think that... Um, 
yeah, when manufacturers are not winning races, they tend to, um, you know, find not so much excuses, but maybe reasons like that for why they might not be winning. And then once they start winning, then suddenly they go quiet. Mm. Yeah. Do we remember who won back this last year? Exactly. It was poor performance racing, wasn't it? Do we remember the team at the end of the season that was the only team up pit lane to consistently challenge Triple Eight for race wins? It was FPR. So, as far as I know, the aero packages and the parity between the VF Commodore and the FG Falcon hasn't changed in the off-season. They're identical to where they were last season. So, how can continues to win races? And FPR, up until last weekend, has struggled reasonably badly. Um, the only thing you can assume is that Triple H's done a better job in the off-season, and FPR has um, found another new and inventive way to uh, not win a race until the weekend. But, you know, all of a sudden, as Frosty said, actually quite fairly in the press conference, he said, we've, you know, we've been in the top five in the championship, and, you know, it, it took them three rounds to win a race, but this is because we've got an unbelievably competitive championship at the moment. And at the moment, there are teams up and down pit lane that can win races. The Holden Racing Team have won FPR, Ray Jones Racing as of the weekend with Fab um, Erebus Motorsport now. We saw the Volvo win at the Grand Prix. The only ones, to be honest, that at this stage haven't looked like winning a race is the Nissan. So um, I, I just don't think FPR did a good enough job. Now they've got their stuff together. The car's a bit better. It's improved. They're driving it well. And three of the four of the FPR-built cars are in the top... Uh, top 10 in that third race at Winton. So, you know, it's funny how things change and maybe they were a little bit reactionary uh, a little bit too early about the fact that they just hadn't done a good enough job uh, in the off-season. That's my thought, anyway. Mm, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting one and it's one that I think was generally shared when we were talking amongst ourselves in uh, the media centre and up and down pit lane as well. So it will be interesting to see how Ford manage their way through this because there are some deficiencies on the Ford, Lockie, that need to be addressed and particularly with what Volvo has done with getting their weight in the right spot where, like, the Ford doesn't have a carbon fibre dash. There's seven kilos in the dash which uh, could be removed from a Ford and put somewhere where it's beneficial to the car if they just get around to homologating a carbon fibre dash for the car. And it's these little things where, obviously, Ludo Lacroix at Triple Eight has gone in and he's looked for every possible way he can get the parts of the car and the weight on the car where he wants it. Quite obviously, Gary Rogers Motorsport and Volvo work hand in glove, trying to make sure that they could put the weight, the ballast, where they needed it to get the car to work. But, uh, you know, it, it seems like one team has... Uh, has who represents a manufacturer hasn't done all their homework. Yeah, I know. I mean, there's been a lot of discussion, obviously, in the last couple of weeks about centre of gravity and mass of the different engines across the manufacturers, and the fact that some teams have an advantage because their engines are lighter, so therefore they get to put the weight or the ballast in different parts of the car to lower the centre of gravity. And V8 supercars talking about having not only minimum engine masses but also a centre of gravity requirement for the engines. The bottom line is, and I'll come back to the point again, that when you look at the results and you look at the spread across the 25 V8 supercars, and we've had two weekends in a row now where the qualifying times across the field have been covered by, I think, you know, six or seven tenths of a second, 
they're really using the parity problem and what's more likely to determine the outcome of the races is the teams that are doing the best job on any given weekend. Yep, I'll get off my high horse as we move to uh, an interesting topic now and that is that uh, we might see some wild cards at Bathurst this year and perhaps even some Dunlop series entries. And What's your thoughts, Richard, about uh, stacking out the field? Potentially we could have four wild cards running in uh, main game in main game configuration and then topping up the field with between five and possibly even ten Dunlop series cars that make the grade, as it were. Look, I, I'm, I'm in two minds about this. I, I, when, when this story came out early in the week, there was a story... I sort of went back through the last couple of Bathurst 1000s I went to, and yes, part of the tradition of Bathurst is that we've always had big fields, um, but I wonder if we have ever missed having four-plus cars in the last five years. When, when you really sit down and think about it, the overriding memory of Bathurst in the last five years has been what's happened in the last 30 laps. And that, to me, is down to how competitive the sport is and the very high level that the top teams in our game are currently operating. I don't think... If we had 40 cars, we'd be sitting here talking about the finish of last year's race going, oh, yes, that battle between Craig Lambs and Mark Winterbottom was excellent, but imagine if there were another 10 cars in the field, how much better it would have been. Would it? I don't think so. Um, maybe 25 is too small, not, not necessarily for the show of the race itself, but for the people that go to the event. Maybe you do want to see more cars from that for a 1,000 cars over a distance, but there's no doubt that the 25 cars we've got now are unbelievable. I don't think anyone has missed the three that we've dropped off in the off-season. Um, having said that, I like the idea of having the additional storylines of having some battlers in the field again. I think having the, the low-budget operations, young kids, an old guy coming back, whatever, they generate story, they generate new ways of generating media for the event, coverage, human interest stuff that our sports are desperately need. But we've also got to remember where our next group of not just drivers, but teams are going to come from for the main game. So what's the next team that's going to step up? Well, what better way to find out than give them an opportunity to race there? So Matty White can put together a team with a couple of good drivers with a reasonable budget, run one of his current FG DVS cars, previous Gen V8 supercar, run competitively, pound around all day, win his class, quote unquote, experience it and be able to do that. And there's a couple of other teams up and down the uh, the DVS paddock that I reckon will be in a real shot with putting on a good show. What they'd have to be careful with is making sure that they're up to a certain level. You don't want a plonker to go out there and fail to qualify because that would look really, really bad for the event. So you'd need a good group of six or seven cars that can run their own class. They're not going to be that far off the pace. And based on car of the future at Bathurst last year where they really struggled, um, they could even be reasonably competitive. Um... And uh, I think that'd be great. So as long as they do it properly and make sure the entries are good, uh, I think... Mm. Lockie, uh, uh, is it a reaction to how successful the 12 hours going that they're starting to say, class racing, well, that's not a bad thing at Bathurst? Yeah, well, in many ways, the Bathurst 12 hours feel void, hasn't it, of the old class racing that we used to see, the Bathurst 1000 for many years and brought back that whole element of traffic negotiation and having slower cars in the field and large speed differentials between the front runners and 
the drivers down the back of the field. I think Richard's right. We've been treated to some pretty spectacular grandstand finishes at the Bathurst 1000 over the last five years or so. But it's been missing something that used to be a part of Bathurst in that the quality of the field is almost too good now. And I know that might sound a bit critical, but one of the things I've missed is some of the drama that used to make the Bathurst 1000 such an amazing race because all the teams are so professional and the driving standards are just so high these days. You're not getting as many incidents as what you used to. And last year, yes, we had an awesome finish at Bathurst, but the lead-up to that last 13 laps was actually quite boring with the cars getting spread out not many safety car interventions just because the levels are so high so maybe having some of the Dunlop teams in the field would help fill that void and bring Bathurst back to to some extent what it used to be I think Richard's right though what we have to be careful of is making sure that they can cut at that level and one of the problems that I see is that a lot of the top line Dunlop series drivers and also probably the top five or so drivers from Carrera Cup are going to end up with endurance drives with the teams that are already there anyway so then you have to look elsewhere to find other drivers to fill those seats and um, you just you know you get to the stage where you have to ask the question is the talent pool in Australian motorsport deep enough to find drivers who will be capable of performing at that level, especially if they're drivers who haven't previously had that many miles in V8 supercars or at Bathurst. Mm. And is there enough money to fund it as well? That's, that's the other question. Mm. Is there enough money going around to fund another five cars in that race? The way the market is at the moment, you've got to say there probably isn't. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, it's tough. I mean, out of the teams that are currently in the Dunlop series, which ones would realistically have the resources to run a Bathurst campaign? Matthew White Motorsport, yes, probably would. Eggleston Motorsport probably would. Same with Matt Stone Racing. I know that uh, Wayne Russell from Novocastrian Motorsport has been pushing hard, but they've said before when it's been over to Wildcards that they would like to run one, and it's never come to fruition. So yeah. there have to be a bit of a question mark over that one as well. Mm. Yeah, it seems like you've got to have five minimum before you'd even consider it. You're not going to do it for one or two. It's got to be where it's going to be a class battle. It's something you can talk about, and it's something you can build on, as opposed to just having a couple of cars, you know, banging around at whatever speed and then lo and behold if the car if the new generation car the speed of it doesn't markedly increase from what it was last year which we've seen it increase at all the other tracks so there's no no reason why you wouldn't think it'd get quicker but then would you have this embarrassing situation where a uh, Dunlop series car could start mixing it up for outright positions which would uh, which would be a story in itself, but gee, it could be a bit embarrassing as well. Yeah, exactly right. And that's something they'll have to think about. I think in principle it's a fine idea, but it needs to be done properly. And But we need to evolve with the times. You know, the Bathurst 1000 isn't about class racing anymore. The Bathurst 1000 isn't about the battlers coming and fielding a car for their one race a year. It was amazing while it lasted, but, but it's moved on from that. It's, it's a thousand case sprint race now. They drive the cars as hard as they can for as long as they can. I, I don't think we should judge the race on last year's 130 laps before the last 30 because not every race can be a thriller. Um, and not every thousand K race is a thriller. Uh, you're going to get boring bits in an endurance race. Um, so it, it needs to be done very, very careful. And I think we're just going to have to accept that the race has evolved. The race has changed from where it was even 10 years ago 
to where it is today and that um, if you want to go class racing, there's a fantastic event in early February that I highly recommend people go watch. But keep watching October because it's still the Bathurst 1000. It's still the great race. Mm. Well, guys, pleasure to have you both on the show. Richard, we'll be looking forward to uh, speaking to you again soon on Inside Motorsport about some more Shannon's Nationals and, of course, the Formula 3 Gold Star. Absolutely. Thanks, Craig. Thanks, Lockie. And, uh, yeah, stay safe. And, uh, of course, Lockie, plenty more events coming up at Wakefield Park and, of course, Winton over the rest of the year. Yeah, that'll keep me pretty busy for sure, but pleasure to be on V8 Insiders as always. The white flag lap where we look at the Erebus win next here on the V8 Insiders. You've taken the V8 to the races. you watch the action on TV. Now read about them in V8X Magazine. V8X Magazine, dedicated to just one thing, V8 Supercars. Showcasing some of today's best writers and award-winning photographers, V8X brings you all the news and in-depth interviews demanded by today's V8 Supercar fans in one action-packed magazine. V8X, the number one magazine in V8 Supercar coverage. Out now. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. You're listening to V8 Insiders. On this week's White Flag Lap, brought to you by Munro Shock Absorbers, we hear from Erebus Motorsport on their first win. We hear from Betty Clemenko, Dave Stewart and Ross Stone, starting with Betty Clemenko. And of course, getting a victory for the three-pointed star, I asked her if she was expecting to hear congratulations from Germany. Good question. Are you expecting it or are you hoping for it? I don't hope. I don't hope for anything because hope means that you expect you think it's going to be there. I did. I worked hard. I don't need to hope. You know, I expect. I expect a little bit of respect for what we've done. I don't. You know, I, I don't need to beg for for. You know, you've been a good girl. Pat on the head, and I mean that in a nice way because you've got to distinguish between AMG, HWA, all those different brands. I can't say enough about HWA and AMG. They have from Germany it's not their call whether Australia support us or not but from Germany they've been amazing you know they've they've tried their hardest they've they've you know they've um we've had our ups and downs like any you know partnership has ups and downs but um I think we proved that uh, Australians know V8s that's all I'm going to say about that (laughs) don't want to get into trouble do you think that this result will make an impression now into those businesses that have been thinking about taking away some of that blank oh, space? It has to. It has to. I mean, you know, we've proved ourselves. We've proved that we've got an engine. We won under speed. And we won through. It was, it, was, it was... Speed got us there and this speed was our problem. Now we don't have that problem and we've just proved it. You, there's nothing there. We didn't... We didn't do it because someone fell off the track. We didn't do it because, you know, there was a big crash and everyone in front of us wasn't there. We did it the right way. We did it. We, we, we had the speed. We had the pace. We had everything. And it all worked. And Lee just took it all. And we, Lee and I came up with a word last year, carology. And it's when the driver, the car, and the engineer are all in one zone. And it works. And that's it. I mean, come on. Lee's been there for 14 months. Pounding away, pounding away. Never, ever did he say this is this is not right. The engine's no good. He's just always he's always just kept going and kept going. And this is what you get when you work hard. Ross Stone, when you uh, think about your journey, you sold your team. 
it changes manufacturer. We see a new generation of car, and within what two years of the decision, it's now at, on the top step of the podium. Yeah, it's actually a bit shorter in the time frame than that, but um, the the whole Erebus project was done in an unbelievable time frame. You know, it was just it's almost bordering on being ridiculous, but. Um, you know, finally, if you work away, and we've got a great group of people here, and um, and I, I thought today Lee done a superb job. He had obviously had a good car and um, come up trumps. What does, knowing what you've had to do personally, you've got the engine in from Germany, you've had to do a lot of work to get it back to where your Fords were, and I'm, I'm sure you don't think it's there yet. Oh, it's pretty comparable to where we were with Fords, but you know, uh, the last time we ran a Ford was in 2012, and and some of the other guys have stepped up a little bit. But um, you know, I reckon we're probably five or six weeks away, and we should have an upgraded spec to try. So uh, we just keep our head down and um, see how that comes out. Dave Stewart to win a race today uh, was was a little unexpected, but I knew. We knew we had qual- uh, pace yesterday, and then when we qualified well today, you, you had to be in there with a chance. Uh, when we spoke in Sydney, uh, our goal was just consistently to be in the top ten, and and we've tried a lot, a very hard. Well, we tried really hard to do that, and we've been able to do that. We, we had a bit of bad luck at Clipsa where we got caught up in other people's accidents, and we weren't able to get that finish we were looking for. But um, you know, everybody in the team works really hard. The team, the team is working really well, both here at the track and back at the workshop. And uh, we know that our focus is to be consistent. And uh, you know, Triple Eight are obviously the, the quintessential example of that. Um, you, you know, you have to have your consistency. They had a bat, they had an off day today, uncharacteristically off day. Uh, but we knew after qualifying that we'd be in with the show. And uh, we, you know, we just have to do everything right. And it's it's not just one thing. It's everybody in the team doing the job. Lee did a great job. His engineer did a fantastic job. You know, the engineering team did a great job. The mechanical team did a great job. Everybody, yeah, well, you know, it, it really is everybody in it. That's all we've time for this week on the V8 Insiders. Is a check of flag waves over another edition. Till next time, Ramon, keep smiling and bye for now. Join us next week for more V8 Insiders only on v8x.com.au.